I'm Brianne Bennis, and this is No End in Sight, a podcast about life with chronic illness. First off, I want to apologize to any real-time listeners that this episode is coming out a day late. I 100% used up all of my cognitive energy watching the impeachment hearings yesterday because I somehow still don't expect that lying on the couch watching something like that would wear me out, but it does. I also want to take a second to plug my own work again. Over the last few weeks, I've been thinking and talking a lot about seeing friends and family over the holidays and the pressure that we face to heal alongside this emotional double bind where we're not supposed to be too happy or too sad when we're sick. So this week I wrote a piece on Medium called So Long to Healing that breaks down my own relationship with healing, spoiler alert, I'm not doing it anymore, and what it means when I appear happy or sad. I really hope that it resonates with other sick folks. You can find the link in the show notes for this episode and on my Medium profile at medium.com slash at Benisby. I don't know why they include the at sign in their URLs, but they do, so make sure you type it if you're checking that out. Also, here's a quick reminder that I have a Patreon campaign, which is a really simple way for listeners to support the show financially on a monthly basis. So if you've been enjoying the show and you also have a couple bucks to spare, I'd be so, so grateful if you'd sign up as a patron at patreon.com slash noendinsight. This week, I'm talking to Becky about lupus and fertility treatments and finding a pituitary tumor. This is also the first episode where my guest and I are actively trying to notice and reword any ableist language that we use. In order to do that, guests and I are just quickly waving at each other whenever we hear ableist words that are still common parts of speech for a lot of people, myself included, 100%. So consciously changing our language is a process, and I really want to normalize this kind of learning, so I've left the corrections in for now. I'd really love feedback on this because I'm happy to just start editing that language out entirely in the future if that makes more sense to people or would make people more comfortable, Uh, TBD. Before we start, here's my disclaimer. This podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. So make sure that you talk to your doctor about any questions or symptoms. Okay, well, then let's get started. Like sure. I just said, uh, I like to start by asking, how was your health as a kid? Um, I was a fairly healthy child. Um, I didn't have any major illnesses, but I will say that when I did get sick, I kept it forever. Okay. I had a really hard time getting rid of colds, things like that. Um, whether or not that's related to anything or just how I was born, I mm-hmm. don't know. Um, but I do know when I got sick, it became like a month long. It was thing. an ordeal. Yeah, but I didn't have a lot of major illnesses. You know, it was just a general, normal kid stuff. Mm-hmm. Whatever, you know. Yeah. Thoughts, yeah. Stomach. Yeah, like regular things that everyone seemed to experience, but they seemed to hang on longer. Yeah, like, I had yeah. a hard time getting rid of them. Yeah. And so then, was there a time for you when things started to change, or did things change very quickly? Um, well, I started to notice some issues in my early twenties. Um, I'm 43 now. So just strange things. Like I get strange sicknesses again, that lasted a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, but one time I just had dizziness vertigo for a couple weeks and I couldn't explain it. I couldn't diagnose it. Um, I also had weird scalp itching for a while that no one could figure out. 
my hair, which used to be super thick and curly, Mm -hmm. completely changed to fine and thin, which is so weird. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, And I also had in my early, no, mid thirties, I no early thirties. I had um, a pituitary tumor removed from my pituitary gland. Um, Whether or not that relates to anything, it's hard to tell. But around then I was feeling quite sick. I Mm -hmm. never got, you know, I never had a regular period, Mm. even got it late around 15 and it was never regular. So I always blamed everything on hormones. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the tumor, was was yeah. there like an uptick in anything that caused that to be identified or was it kind of yeah. caught? Yeah, I was quite sick for about six months. Um, strange stuff, dizzy, um, numbness in my face. Uh, I would get out of breath very quickly. Mm-hmm. And it's very strange because I went to a million doctors and it took a fertility doctor to finally have me get an MRI, which is a little ridiculous. Yeah. And not the combination you expect. Yeah. No, you'd think like it always ended up being the doctor I went to couldn't figure it out and they'd say it must be stress. Yeah. That sounds very familiar. It does. (laughs) (laughs) So once that was taken care of and removed, um, I started feeling fine. Okay. At that point. Yeah. So, and how, what kind of a surgery is that? That's. Um, they actually go up through your nose and, um, saw, you know, drill into your skull. It Ooh. wasn't fun. No, <laughs> yeah. no, I would imagine. Um, but... But, and so you said, you had said in your early twenties, you had kind of vague, like more sick, whatever. And then obviously. Strange things. Yeah. yeah. Then yeah. these symptoms picked up more and were connected to something that you had surgery for. So what was recovery from that like and how did your kind of general health feel afterwards? You know, I felt pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, I did go and because I was going to a fertility doctor, because I had never had a period, I really jumped right into that. So there wasn't a huge period of normalcy. You know, I mm-hmm. felt pretty good. Um, and then I started taking fertility drugs and things like that. So it's hard to tell how normal I would have felt had I just lived my life. Right. Because that has its own feeling. Yeah. Because hormones make you a little crazy and, you know, sorry, hormones make you a little, you know, different and your reactions are different. So it's hard to really look back and say what was how I would have been. Right. Yeah. There's no like alternate timeline that you can compare it to, of course. Yeah. I mean, I went straight into it. Yeah. So. Okay. okay. So, like... the, so you went straight into fertility treatment. Yes. Um, and that, like you're saying, that would obviously impact just about everything. Right. So you have that going on. And I'd love to hear how that went alongside. Tell me how your health progressed, basically. Right. Okay. So th- when we we did a couple rounds of IUI um, and the second round worked and I had my son and all was well, as well as it can be, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, pregnancy, I was really sick, et cetera. Um, I had pretty severe postpartum depression, but that was kind of not crazy for me. Sorry, that was not. It's different. hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That was not different for me because I'd always battled depression and anxiety. Okay. So I was about 30, 
four at that time, and we knew we wanted more children. So when my son was six months old, we decided to go right back into it uh, and try again with fertility treatments because we wanted them close together. We didn't know how long it would take, mm-hmm. and I was not getting any younger. Mm-hmm. So at that point, we started up again, but this time it was much more difficult. Basically, as I did more things, IVF, each round, I kept having miscarriages, okay. all different like, di- different losses at all different times in the pregnancy. And so I, I had a huge blood panel done. And that they saw different markers and referred me to a rheumatologist because they saw an ANA marker, different things that people see with autoimmune diseases or even just a lot of miscarriages. Mm-hmm. So at that point, I started being seen by a rheumatologist. But as far as my health went, every time I took more hormones, lost the pregnancy, I started to feel more symptoms. Okay. Fatigued, yeah, some joint pain yeah. because as I learned later, estrogen is kind of a of kryptonite. It's like a big trigger. Yeah. Okay. So, and had you seen a rheumatologist before when you had the pituitary tumor? Just incidentally, I did not. Okay. No, I did not. It was really through the miscarriage panel mm-hmm. where I ended up seeing someone and continued to see her. Because as I got worse, and yeah. she was trying to help me with fertility to start with. Yeah. Um, so you so, so you moved over there, yeah. Yeah, I was already being monitored mm-hmm. when it all started. Yeah. So, okay. So you are going through this, what must have been really difficult kind of cycle of like fertility yeah. treatments and IVF, which is lots of hormones for that to get the eggs, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And as you miscarry, which would also be really difficult, symptoms yeah, are starting to show traumatic, up. Traumatic time. Also, I can say that my eggs and the test that they do to determine the quality of your eggs, um, they were not good. Mm. They were considered old for my age, which I later found out is fairly common in lupus you know, to go through menopause sooner, Mm. your eggs to age sooner, that stuff is common. Okay. So that was happening. It was all a very just like, plus you had still a very young, like a young kid. Okay. Okay. So I know it's a lot. Yeah. (laughs) No, it's just, it's all packed together. Sometimes this stuff all comes together, of course. Okay. So you're, you go to the rheumatologist, your ANA had been high, you had some other inflammatory markers. Right. And did it take very long to get the diagnosis at that point? It actually did not because it was pretty clear already that I had some kind of autoimmune disorder. Mm -hmm. Lupus wasn't really seen yet. I didn't have some of those markers at the time. But also my father in his 30s um, got ill and was finally diagnosed with – uh, what's it called? Psoriatic arthritis. Okay. Which is a is a similar autoimmune disease. So I remembered that and I thought this is very similar. You know, so it all came together. And eventually, I don't remember exactly when, the lupus anticoagulant showed up in my blood. I started getting the face rash. So it became very clear which one I had. Mm-hmm. 
but it was within those five years um, that it all showed up. It it was pretty quickly. Yeah. 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 And so symptomatically, just to review, because you mentioned, um, I mean, you mentioned the rash and you mentioned fatigue at the beginning. So what was that like as the symptoms arrived? What did it feel like? Just what did your body feel like with lupus? Yeah, the fatigue is the most was the most debilitating and still is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a fatigue like you can't describe. The only way I could describe it is flu or if you've been pregnant, it's the early pregnancy tiredness where you physically it's a physical body thing. Yeah. Um, a lot of joint pain, mostly hands, wrists, uh, jaw, neck. I would also have a lot of nerve issues that I had a hard time figuring out where my legs and feet would burn and itch to mm. the point where rub skin off and I could not figure it out. Yeah. Um, even at, even though I had the diagnosis, no one seemed to know, which is weird now because I have a really good rheumatologist, but everyone kept saying, take Benadryl. It's an allergic thing, an allergic reaction. And it clearly wasn't. Yeah. Now we know it's nerve damage, and I take medication for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and numbness in my hands is a big one. Um, back then, I would be very short of breath. I had a lot of lung, what I thought might be lung issues. Mm-hmm. I was so short of breath, and my chest was so tight. Yeah. I think those were the major players at the time. It's hard to remember. I definitely know that. It kind of all blends together and the major things it's easy to just forget about. Yeah. Um, Okay. So you got the diagnosis quickly and that's how you were feeling at that point. And so then what did it look like to start treatment or what? I know there's a few different options. So how did that go for you? Yeah. She first, I think as most people with lupus, she um, prescribed Plaquenil, Mm -hmm. which is an anti-malaria drug, which you probably may or may not know. That's like the normal drug to give lupus patients. I didn't notice any real difference with it. I also was immediately put on high doses of prednisone, which is another common drug. Get you out of that funk. (laughs) Yeah. So I would start with doing a high dose of prednisone and try to taper down until it became clear that I could not go off the prednisone because I had to stay at a certain dose to just be normal. Mm Mm-hmm. To function. I shouldn't say normal. To function. Yeah. And without it, I would be in ex- extreme pain, could not function. You know, bo- my body would just go crazy. So even to this day, it's been years, and I'm still on a very low dose of prednisone. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize how much I would say it. No, it's yeah. – <laughs> I'm right there with you. Trust me. Yeah. I'm not. <laughs> um, so I'll say um, my body – would cannot tolerate being off prednisone. Okay. I have to be, I've been, I've been able to lower it to a fairly low level over the years, but I cannot go off of it mm-hmm. at this point. Sometimes I go higher mm-hmm. if I'm having super flares, but I can't go off. So those were the two main. That's where you started. Drugs that were pretty instant for me to go on. Mm-hmm. And that changed throughout the years. Yeah. I don't know if you want to talk about we can Other talk. Yeah. yeah. Just kind of I, the general once, progression. Okay. Yeah. Once they realized that my legs and hands were nerve related, I went on gabapentin, which I am still on. And that helped? Yeah. I'm on a much lower dose now. Um, 
I've really changed, we could talk about that further on, but I've really changed supplements and diet, which has helped me so much. Mm-hmm. And so I've been able to lower that, but I am still on it. I've tried so many things uh, over the years. Cymbalta for nerves, I believe it was. That didn't do much. Um, naproxen for pain. There was another one that starts with an M that's similar. I cannot remember. But it's a similar type of anti-inflammatory. That yeah. didn't really do anything for me. Um, I went on, then I went on Celsept, which is a pretty strong immunosuppressant that is also an anti-organ rejection drug. Okay. So, because at this point, my lupus was really trying to attack my lungs the most. So Mm -hmm. everybody's different. For me, it was lungs. So I was on that for a while, and it definitely, it stopped the lupus from hurting me, but I didn't feel good. Let's say that. Then I tried... Benlista, which is the one and only lupus drug. It's infusions, monthly infusions. And I did that for a year. Um, that made me feel made me feel worse, actually. Ugh, that's so frustrating. I ended up super anemic. Mm. Uh, I think we lost connection. I can still hear you, but you're frozen, which is one of those Hello? frustrating things. Ugh. Hello. Can you hear me? Hello. No. Call back. Oh, wait. Yeah. Ah. Okay. I don't know when I got disconnected. All of a sudden, you froze. <laughs> yeah, I could hear you. Actually, I could hear you the whole time that you were frozen. So you had been saying okay. the, you you were on the infusions and they were not working for you and you became anemic. That was what. what yeah, they actually made me feel worse. I was then doing the infusions plus weekly iron infusions as well as um, there were two points where my bl- white blood cell count dropped really low. I don't know if it was the medication. I don't know if it was the lupus, but I went, ended up going off the Benlisic because it didn't do anything for me yeah. for a year. I then went on methotrexate, which is, you know, a type of chemotherapy, which just made me feel so horrible. Um, what, I remember one week I just thought to myself, I don't feel like taking this. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't. I didn't tell my doctor. I just said to myself, I just, I don't want to take it. And I didn't. And that's when I got real, really desperate and mm-hmm. really researched any anti-inflammatory supplement in the entire world yep. diet. I started taking anything I could all at once, which really was the mistake because then I didn't know what actually worked. Yeah. But but you just want to feel better, like yeah. So yeah. I mean, lists of them, food supplements, you name it. Mm-hmm. I'm still on quite a few. I still do some of the dietary stuff. But I became to a point where I finally did tell then tell my rheumatologist, look, I stopped taking the methotrexate, but I feel better, and she was totally psyched. Yeah, you know, <laughs> like, that's good news, right? Because and so, what did you try in all of your? Okay, in the beginning, or as much was... as you remember. <laughs> Yeah, in the beginning, it was I started taking collagen powder in my coffee. I did the marine because I don't eat meat, but mm. um, 
you know, I did that. Turmeric powder. Mm-hmm. Um, evening primrose. The the pineapple protein capsules, which is bromelain. Um, I'm trying to remember because uh, very high doses of vitamin D and all yeah. natural ones. Yeah. No. Yes. You know, no CVS. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I know. And there's a real range. Um, let me think what else. Cause there was a lot. I definitely mostly stopped dairy. Mm-hmm. Can't say a hundred percent because cheese is too good. So I still eat it on vacation, but yeah, it's most, tough. I didn't find that gluten made a difference for me, mm-hmm. but dairy, yes, less is less processed was better. I mean, stuff that you think is kind of, should be obvious, but isn't. Yeah. You know, well, you never like, had oh, to pay attention to before. Nature actually works. How about that? You know, Um, lemon, this lemon balm liquid. Again, I don't know what worked because I start everything at once and I still do most of the supplements. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, I changed. I had a friend at the time who's still my friend. She's very like super crunchy natural. She Mm -hmm. said, do you realize that all your makeup, all your cleaning products, all that stuff can affect your immune system. And I was like, no. Yeah. <laughs> so I tried to change, I changed like all my makeup, all my skin products, a great deal of my cleaning products. I didn't go all the way, but I really tried to be more conscious. And again, I don't know if any of that worked. Right. All I know is that I feel better now than I used to. Yeah. You know? I That's like the foundational, really frustrating thing is like, yeah something about this is working and I don't know if it's like every little bit coming together or if it's just right. one thing and now I'm doing 15 things but I actually only need right. one and there's just no way to find out I mean or I mean organic coffee because then I read that coffee beans are the most sprayed thing in the world I mean yeah. I changed so many things yeah and I'm right there with you <laughs> yeah for whatever reason I mean I feel much better than I have now mm-hmm. I'm not perfect, but I yeah. actually do work. I used to not be able to work at all. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, that's where I'm at today. Now I have times of fatigue. I do get the rash and fevers when I've overdone it. Mm-hmm. I do sometimes have numb hands and feet, but it's way less. Yeah. Labs look good. But this has been all over a span of... I would say since the diagnosis was probably when I was 35. So, you know, almost 10 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot of experimenting and figuring it out. Right. And just trying to cope. Yeah. Um, And so, and then you still take prednisone. You'd said, do you still take Plaquenil? No, I stopped taking Plaquenil. I just, it wasn't doing anything for me. I got afraid of the possible eye side effects, mm-hmm. um, even though, you know, they say it could affect your peripheral. And mm-hmm. even though I got the eye tests, I just had heard so many people having issues. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I'm going to try to go off of it and see if I feel any different. And I didn't. Yeah. So I said, there's no point in being on it. Yeah. Yeah. All. Um, I am and have been on antidepressants for years. Mm-hmm. Whether or not that's connected to lupus. Right. Who knows? I mean, but... and the flip side thing that like antidepressants are used also off label for stuff like nerve pain sometimes, right? right. Like you mentioned well, Cymbalta. Cymbalta. Yeah. Yeah. I tried to go off Celexa, which I'm on now and switch just to Cymbalta for both things, but it didn't really work as well as 
mm-hmm. gabapentin and Celexa. So I'm like, if it's not broken, I'm not going to change yeah. it at this point. Yeah. It's still frustrating because, you know, I still can't work full time. Mm-hmm. Um, I still can't really exercise. Yeah. I would actually love to kind of get into what has that that side of things been like. So at the beginning of this, you were probably not working anyway, like maternity leave not working. So right. did you, was there a point where you tried to go back to work or had it been pretty obvious that that wasn't a good idea at that time? I did not um, because I knew, I mean, going through fertility treatments is literally a full-time job. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is insane. It's going to the doctor every morning. It's... <laughs> It's a lot. It's yeah. going to the doctor every morning at 7 a.m., sometimes every day for a month. Also taking care of a newborn, also not feeling great. Yeah. So it was just understood at that point that it was not happening. Mm-hmm. I was not going back to work at that point. Yeah. I always expected I would. Right. Um, but not immediately with a newborn while also trying to conceive, basically. Like, no. That wasn't no, that the was moment. The moment. That had become my full-time job, the fertility. It mm-hmm. really had. And it went on for multiple years. Right. Once we decided to quit trying for number two, I was quite ill. Mm-hmm. So at that point, I could not work at all. Yeah. I was barely functioning. I was functioning enough to do what I could for my son, I felt, and that was it. Yeah. You know, and all I had energy That's a lot even have that yeah yeah I also went we also went through a very friendly divorce around the same time right when we decided to stop the fertility Mm -hmm. so that was quite challenging as well because although we're still friends and we still help each other you know I was kind of at my worst physically yeah during point so and wondering how am I ever going to work and my son was in school, but still I needed so much energy for him on weekends and after school. And then yeah. I just didn't have any of it. Yeah. It's like borrowing from nothing. Yeah. It's empty. It was just fighting through the day, basically. Yeah. Yeah. That's so many things going on at once. And in that thing where like, of course, stress also impacts the like health and the body and everything else. Not, totally. not like... Not like when you had a pituitary tumor and they told you that it was just stress, but when you have... No, that has an effect. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Definitely. And so after you, so you went on, you were experimenting, after you got the diagnosis, you were experimenting with different treatments. Were you able mm-hmm. to start working there or was this after you had also added in a lot of the lifestyle stuff? I know you, you're not I, working full time, but I, you mentioned the part time. I started working part time in February. Okay, so super recent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And how has that been? It's been good. It was a tough adjustment because I have a wonderful job where I can work, a situation where I can work from home. It's great. You know, I can work at different times, but it took me a while to figure out how to balance that energy because Mm -hmm. I wasn't even though I had extra energy now and have and am at my best I didn't realize how much energy it would take out of me just to work even though I wasn't going anywhere even though it wasn't physical yeah I I write and edit so 
that really sucked. I wasn't prepared for how much energy that sucked out of me. So it became a balance of doing that yet still having the time for my child after school. Luckily, he's nine and he needs so much less. Mm -hmm. But it is a balance. Mm -hmm. And there have been times where people have been out and I've worked more and quickly realized, no, I still cannot work full time. Yeah. Because I, it would make me sick. Yeah. It's like stuff starts to slide really quickly, right? Like, yeah. Whatever. You get what, excited because yeah. you feel good and you go overboard. And yeah. I've also been on, I've on and off tried a drug, which it took a long time for them to get prescribed to me called modafinil. It's actually for narcolepsy patients, but it's a stimulant okay. of sorts. Um, my rheumatologist was unable to get it approved, but finally my neurologist got it approved years ago. But my problem with it was I would take it, feel great, have energy, get stuff done like a human, but I would have physically then overdone it Mm. and feel worse later. So it's kind of a catch-22. Yeah. It sometimes, and then I physically kind of regret it. Like it mutes your feedback mechanism almost. Like, right. yeah. So I'm doing stuff, but my body's like, you're not supposed to be doing that. Yeah. But I feel like I can, you yeah. know? Yeah, I know what you mean. So that's another drug that's been difficult. I mean, I do use it on occasion, uh, but never more than one day mm-hmm. because I, yeah. I have repressions. Yeah, from I it. crash. That makes yeah. sense. Because I feel, for me, even with some smaller stuff, like, if I have a drink, it usually numbs my nerve pain or, like, will numb my fatigue. And that's not a solution, obviously, but, like, I can enjoy a wedding because of that. But it's, you know, I for one thing, just my hangovers are a lot worse. But, like, it doesn't mean that there's not this problem going on. And if I kind of push past all my limits, it doesn't mean that I'm still, like, I'm still going to have the consequences of that. But I get to enjoy those couple hours. Instead of right, sometimes you just have to say, you know, I want a little bit of life. Yeah. So I'm going to regret it later, but I don't care. Yeah. You know, let's do it anyway because not having any of that is so depressing. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's worth pushing your boundaries. Yeah, and that looks different for different people, but I still definitely agree. It's like you can have an experience or make a memory that at least you'll enjoy. Yeah. When you're feeling crappy again, basically. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. Um, okay. So those are kind of the big ones. And you got into a lot of the experiments too, which is awesome. So who and the work side of things, which is new. And then how has that been since it so coincides with parenting? Because this has been, you mentioned this a little bit, but I know some people talk about even before that, that like, Pregnancy sometimes can mask some of this stuff or nursing can sometimes mask some of this stuff. But when that's over and you're not sleeping and you have an infant, have you noticed, has it, I don't know, were there any moments like that? Or do you think that the intensity of not sleeping plus fertility was a big stress on your body? I don't know, compared to now with a nine-year-old who can entertain himself a little. I don't know. I mean, I think, I think number one, the pre- all my million pregnancies that I went through completely mm-hmm. brought the lupus forward. Whether it would have ever been brought forward, I don't know. Right. Maybe at a later date. Definitely not like it was forced forward because now I know that est- estrogen is so terrible right. for me. 
And, but I do, I mean, it definitely helps that I don't have as much physical things to do with my son, Mm -hmm. but I don't think that's why I feel better. Right. Because there was a point in early, when he started sleeping through the night, I remember thinking, wow, this is great. Actually being able to sleep till 7 a.m. This is great. I feel somewhat human. We're... I don't feel that way anymore. Mm-hmm. And I certainly have more rest. So yeah. I don't think it was that. Yeah, there's so many moving pieces. Feel worse. I really think it was getting off all these super intense medicines, mm-hmm. doing other things. I also am a huge proponent of acupuncture. It's one of the only things that helps my arthritis. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a godsend. So I just think I treat my body differently. I mean, I still drink. I yeah. still eat bad food, but just less. Yeah. And I'm more, I cut, I used to drink diet soda, like nobody's business. I would not even sip it now. You know, yeah. things like that really add up, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. So it's hard to really know. I mean. Totally. I, this is the first year I've been able to, I started some new herbs and I could not tell you what they are, but they're from my <laughs> acupuncturist. Yeah. They're capsules. And this was the first summer I have been able to go in the sun in four years. Without getting... Now, I'm not saying I laid out, but I would get any sun and be have fevers and get sick. Mm-hmm. And the first time I haven't. So I have to attribute it to those herbs because I have no other right. change. Right. I mean, there is a chance I just feel, I mean, that just went away. But who, who knows? Yeah. Right? And it's you don't. A- you can't know. No. And I wish I could tell everybody what these herbs are. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> No, they're just like a mystery blend. No, I get it. I feel like I've yeah. taken so many drops like that over time that are just like, try this. See how it goes. Right. <laughs> okay. Right. All I can say is if you have an acupuncture who is also acupuncturist who is also knowledgeable in herbs, definitely give it a shot. Yeah. Why not? So, yeah. Yeah. And so now you you are working part time. You're looking at starting a podcast. You said so. You've got kind of more stuff going on, and you're feeling pretty good. What is your day to day like? Like how how often are you symptomatic, or kind of how does that rhythm look for you now compared to when you were totally knocked out? Right. Well, I still kind of need to nap most days. I did have a good period where I didn't, but I'm finding lately. I'm not as great. I will also say I'm much worse off in the summer. For me, heat and humidity is a nightmare. Mm-hmm. I'm good in cold weather. Mm-hmm. Um, so that helps. But my day is, you know, I get up, I get my son to school. I drink coffee, which gives me a little bit of a period mm-hmm. of working. But a lot of times I have to take a nap between kind of like 11 in 1230, there are a lot of days I have, I just have to. Yeah. And then I get back to working and then I pick up my son. Now the difference nowadays is he spends like right now, he spends a good deal of time doing whatever he does in his room. Yeah. And so I can get more work done or, you know, get things done around the house. Um, but I do, I'm an, I go to bed early. I clean less. I'm a pretty obsessed with cleaning person but I have to force myself to do less <laughs> mm-hmm. if I'm gonna work I can't do it all which is the hardest part for me yeah because it sounds pathetic I feel to other people yeah we 
part-time. You have your son who's in school all day and you barely have to do anything for it and you can't clean, you know, to, to the normal person. Yeah. To me, that's like the fact that I can do all this. Four years ago, I couldn't do any of it. Right. So it's, me, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. 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 I feel like the stuff with like cleaning and I don't know, laundry and dishes for me are big ones. It's just like, yeah. okay, yes. Could I prioritize doing those things? Yes, probably. Yeah. But like, is that going to be better for me to do that? It would be right. nice to have a cleaner kitchen all the time or a cleaner closet all the time or whatever. But like, if I don't spend so much time and energy on effort on stuff like that, I feel a lot better and use my time and energy on things that are more like life giving kind of or yeah i'm trying to i'm still trying to really learn that because my idea of mess is not other people's <laughs> so it's not even like i'm leaving the place yeah a disaster no. it's just like I a like bowl in the sink yeah neat <laughs> and vacuumed and this and that so i'm trying to let that go mm -hmm. that's been a goal of mine it's hard to let it go Mm -hmm. yeah yeah no that makes complete sense yeah um, okay that's this is a lot of the big stuff is there anything about chronic illness actually talking about internet communities i think can also be interesting because i know you at least spend a little bit of time on instagram with it but is there anything about chronic illness that we haven't talked about yet that is a big part of your experience or that you've been thinking about um i mean i think Obviously, social media is so huge in a positive way for, for chronic illness. I don't know what I would do without it. I've actually met people in person that live in my neighborhood. I didn't even know, yeah. except that we found out about each other on Instagram. Yeah. And it's just an amazing way to connect because it's so isolating. Mm -hmm. um, you can't explain it to people that don't have it, even if they're open to hearing, you just cannot describe it. It's like the words and don't match up. No, it, you just can't explain what it's like. And so you feel isolated and to, to get out of that for a bit is so important. Mm -hmm. Be around people that understand you. In fact, I'm working with my brother has, my brother works with a company that has an app for cancer patients and they happen, he happens to be working on a lupus one which I'm helping him with, which I think is just another way to have more community and also keep track of your symptoms, be able to print it out and bring it to your doctors because it's just, there's no, there's not always medicines. There's not always options. Yeah. So being able to share options with other people, I think is so key. Mm -hmm. And the ways we have to do that the better, you know? Yeah. Because I would say anything anyone told me, people just don't, you, you just have to connect with them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that stuff can be so hard too. I feel like there's like phases where you don't know that there's anything out there to try. And then right. maybe you have a lot of, and that's even the wrong word, but you have a lot of motivation to try things like what you talked about. Like you jump right yeah. in. I've definitely done that. And then there's like a period too where like, you get overwhelmed with suggestions like when people yeah. other people in your life start suggest like everyone's suggesting something and yeah. you're like okay this we're in too much suggestion zone right but but people who have been through who have been there it's like oh i want to know what worked for you and what didn't work for you and like what are the pieces that i can take away how can we share this knowledge because there are not studies happening about most of this stuff so it's all anecdotal good and bad yeah 
yeah, and it's it's one thing to get advice or suggestions from people going through it, and it's another to get advice from people that aren't. And yeah. that's usually the advice you do not want, even though they mean well. Yeah. You know, if I don't want to hear about yoga, I can't physically do yoga, okay? Yeah. You're like, <laughs> it's not stop gonna hear me. talking about it. <laughs> right. I appreciate it, but no. Mm-hmm. Yoga, if that could cure me, I would have known a long time ago. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's just a, it's extremely isolating place, I think. So any way it can be, the information can be shared more, mm-hmm. it's, that is important to me. Yeah, yeah. And just the commiserating, like seeing someone yeah. describe something. I think about this, like with nerve pain, kind of you talked about it. People kept telling you it was a, an allergic reaction. And sometimes... Right. Sometimes it's like you can even just see another person describe a symptom that they know what it is. And you're like, oh, you're describing what I have and I've never been able to describe it right. Like, yeah, you know, so that's always there's just I don't know. I agree. There's a lot of good stuff about being able to connect to people on the Internet to talk about this stuff. Yeah, because no one else seems to know, you know, those little nuances mm-hmm. that make connect that you didn't even realize mm-hmm. oh I didn't realize that was part of yeah how I'm feeling or something you know that yeah. could be affecting me like I didn't know I was so ignorant to the fact that products that I'm putting on my skin could have any connection possibly mm-hmm. to my immune until someone literally told me and then I looked it up yeah you know well you'd never had to think about it before like no that's part of it too I- yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The internet. But is there anything else that you find yourself talking about a lot or whatever? I know I picked that topic. So I just want to make sure that we get out everything that, that you're thinking about. Um, it's okay if not. Also, we have talked about a lot of stuff. If there's any just specific things I want to talk about, you yeah. mean? Yeah. Like if there's anything that you find yourself thinking about, about chronic illness or about lupus or talking about a lot or that you wish people kind of new, whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, this has probably been talked to death, but it's the whole thing about how you don't look like you feel. Yeah. And it's a catch-22 because, of course, you don't want to look bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but people then don't trust that you don't feel well. And I'm the type of person who's very energetic and I do stuff on social media a lot. I do a lot of stories to, you know, get ready for my podcast and I'm fairly upbeat person, but that doesn't mean that I feel like if I don't update people that I feel bad once in a while, they don't believe it. Yeah. Or they think I'm faking, which could be just in my own head. Mm -hmm. But I think people just need to be more aware that you don't always see what's really happening yeah inside. like this this is not and I look not that good today <laughs> I had a hat on and then I said oh my god you're gonna be on video <laughs> you should have washed your hair but you know I looked yeah I look normal right but but that doesn't mean I'm just whining about minor things these are real physical issues that are serious yeah and how do we get people to understand that yeah. And I think one of the things with social media, too, is that it can be the flip side, because, of course, like by nature, most of what most people post on social media are like fun adventures or like pretty pictures or whatever. And so 
there it's already filtering out like so much of the tough stuff and i think then i like other people i think i was just talking about to someone about this on twitter the other day who was like i decided not to share this fun thing because i didn't want to give like my family right. kind of more ammunition to think that i'm actually fine if i'm doing this and yeah. like that's such a tough position because we shouldn't have to do that i mean you don't have yeah. to but but it's also it's what you said, you know, I went on some trips with my son this past summer because I was feeling better. And but what so people see that and they see, wow, you must be really doing well. But what they don't see is me going to bed with him at 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. and then recovering from it for, you know, the following week. I mean, I'm not showing that part. Right. You know, so I think that kind of judge. I mean, people should realize just even generally that social media is not a true picture of yeah for anybody life. but i think that would be a difficult yeah you know thing it's, to teach people <laughs> yeah because that's that's definitely i think that's on a lot of people's radar it's like but you don't look sick is a great hashtag <laughs> i know it, it's my favorite <laughs> yeah because it applies to all this stuff um and also, I think the thing that's like not quite captured is how much work goes into that kind of stuff. So it's like if you're going to have a fun day out and you're chronically ill, you probably like you have medication that you need to bring. You need to pay more attention to when you're eating and how much you're eating and what you're eating. And you're like you're bringing all of this stuff and doing all of this work that people don't see either. And that, that right. would like that would be a boring social media post. But yeah. Do you want to see me going to bed with my son at 8 p.m.? And- yeah not having any kind of night yeah like everything that made I this do, yeah so we could have the day yeah yeah I mean no I don't post that part <laughs> yeah and that's not like that's not the thing it's just like so all of this stuff that gets missed and that people don't even know about I've, I've been thinking right. about a lot more lately yeah well I think that's covered kind of all of my topics okay like, the biggest thing I didn't say but I I should have the biggest thing is that you have to be your own advocate and never let the doctors you have to kind of fight the doctors yeah because if I always listened to the doctors I would not be where I am I would have lost my vision because I didn't think I had a they didn't know I had a tumor yeah I just used to give up looking because I was like something's wrong yeah you know so that is so important you just have to keep searching and don't just take one doctor's word for things yeah, it's super important. And it's exhausting. Um, so thank okay. you so much for sharing yeah. your story with me. Hi. Thank you for listening to episode 53 of No End in Sight. You can find Becky on Instagram at BeckBal, so B-E-C-K-B-A-L. And you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Benisby. And of course, you can find the show on Instagram at no.end.in.site.pod. I post pretty regularly to stories, and I've even had a few posts to the main feed lately, which feels like a big deal. Um, I've also just hired someone to help me with transcripts as budget allows. So hopefully that will translate into more regular Instagram posts, as well as just actually having the transcripts available, which I really want. Uh, If you want to help me get those transcripts out faster, then let me give one more quick plug for the Patreon campaign, because that's where my budget is coming from. You can sign up to contribute at patreon.com slash noendinsight. As usual, don't forget that I have a small Facebook group called Chronic Hustlers for people living with chronic conditions who are self-employed. It's quiet but growing, and you'll even find a few podcast guests in the group. And finally... 
This podcast is supported by my cross-stitch company, Digital Artisanal. When I'm up for it, I make simple modern patterns that you'll actually want to hang in your home. I've got some fun fall patterns, although I guess that season is pretty much over for me, uh, in the shop and dozens of very simple icons that you can customize however you want. I'd love it if you checked us out at digitalartisanal.com. Thanks for listening.